everybody, this is Townsend. Thank you so much for tuning in. The goal of this podcast is to cover a vast variety of topics regarding mental health, struggles, share people's stories, and hopefully remind you that you're not alone. I hope you enjoy. Well, hey, how are you? I'm good. I just got some Chick-fil-A, so oh. I'm happy. <laughs> Heaven's manna. I love it. Mm-hmm. Um, I swear, I love it. It's my favorite. Uh, it's, and I don't call it fast food either because... No, absolutely not. I feel like it's just God's gift to us. Absolutely. <laughs> it is definitely like tiers above fast food. Yes, like I agree. Right below home cooking. Yes. <laughs> well, I'm so glad you joined me on here. Thank you so much. Me too. I'm happy. I feel like you asked me... I feel like that was like six months ago, and it, now yes, and here it is. It literally—I think it was about six months ago. So I booked—I booked people for the whole year. So it might have literally wow. months ago. Yes, you're awesome. You're oh cool. gosh. Um, we'll go ahead and jump in with it. So this is Laura Monteverdi. I know I put in the description that she might look familiar, and that's because <laughs> she's a news anchor. You've seen her on Channel 11. She's now on KRK Channel 4. Um, she's all over the place. She also does things um, benefiting nonprofits for addiction, and we'll kind of touch on that a little bit later. But so I got introduced to you a while back, and I had yeah. no idea that this was kind of your backstory. And following you, I have heard and read about it. And I'm just in awe of how amazing you are. I want to put that out there. Like you were always, (laughs) yeah, you're always so positive and so happy. And no one would ever know that you kind of have this um, grieving past, you know, Mm -hmm. and something that stays with you. It's not something you get over like next day. So it's something that still kind of pops up. Um, so a couple of months ago, I did a live stream with Kyle Brewer, which I think, you know, through the addiction thing. Yes, love uh, Kyle. He's awesome. He is so sweet. So I chatted with him on one of these and we talked about his struggle with addiction and then his recovery process. And I thought it'd be really cool to chat with you about the other side of that. So you haven't struggled with addiction yourself. However, it has affected you personally and someone that you loved. And not only did it affect you, it also caused some grieving, which again, we'll go into that. But there's Paul yeah. right there. He's logged on. Hi, Kyle. <laughs> we love you, Kyle. You were awesome. Okay. So I'm going to stop yapping. People are talking about you. But so give us a little introduction about you. So I, I can't brag on you enough. So I'm going to let you give yourself some gold stars. So I know you've won some awards. Tell yeah. us kind of what people have seen you on. Who is Laura Monteverdi? Well, I do not like bragging on myself. Oh, so know. now you're making me sweat gonna, over I, here. Um, but I'm making now, I. I really like to stay humble and I know that it's been an honor to be in the news industry because it's my passion. I used to, when I was younger, take my parents' video camera and I lived in Florida. So we would actually like have our news desk in our room and we would film hurricanes and just, I don't know. It's so funny because I went to college not knowing what I wanted to do. But if you look back at my whole life, I clearly knew exactly what I wanted to do. So I just followed this path and loved it. And I started in South Dakota, coming from Florida and moved to South Dakota and then moved here um, a little over six years ago. And it's great. You know, I, I started as a reporter here and worked my way up to first morning anchor, now evening anchor at KARK. So I'm really grateful that I got to stay in Arkansas. It's become my home and I've made so many friends here and love it. And, and I've gotten to work on so many special projects here. Documentaries have become 
my passion project. And uh, I've won two Emmys and two Edward R. Murrow Awards for my work. So that is something um, I'm very proud of just because it was a topic that is something very near and dear to my heart and something that we're going to talk about today. So it's, it's definitely tough to be in the news business at times. Um, we get a lot of flack especially now and over the course of the last few years, but it is, it is a very rewarding job. It's very rewarding. Yeah. I, I can't, this has nothing to do with what we're going to talk about, but I can't imagine being a news anchor, especially as a female, because I feel like guys can show up and they look great in their suit and you just <laughs> your button up and you look good. But a female, I feel like you wear the same outfit oh, yeah. and you're going to get called out. Oh, I was just talking about this with my co-anchor, Bob Clausen, and our meteorologist, Keith Monahan, and they could wear the same suit every day for a week, a month, you <laughs> name it, and no one would know. But if I wore this dress tomorrow night, the yeah. comments would come rolling. Yeah. <laughs> or look bad in it. Like, oh, yeah. Oh, that, that makes me, do it. you know, what do people think when they send those comments? I've had people say, I don't like your dress tonight. Oh, the, the real Laura would yes. love to say something, but I just, I kill him with kindness yes, is what you do. And I usually apologize when you do that. Oh my goodness. I can't <laughs> actually do that. I, oh yeah. That's awful. I feel like I've seen, I know several of you guys just through music and everything. And I have heard y'all joke about people commenting on outfits and I can't even wrap my head around. Oh that. yeah. Oh yeah. I know. Oh. So I buy a lot of different dresses. So hopefully I never wear the same thing <laughs> twice go. because yes. God forbid. <laughs> if anybody's watching and you want to sponsor Laura, throw her some dresses, make her look good. <laughs> People are clothes, Laura. That's right. <laughs> I, love I love it. it. Well, I love your dress. You look great in that blue. Thank you. That out there. Absolutely. All right. So Okay, so like I said earlier, people know you because you're a face that's on TV, you're a familiar mm. face, you're a happy face, always up and going, and mm. I have seen you a thousand times, I have never seen you in a bad mood or not, <laughs> which says a lot with the job that you have, because I feel like, yeah. um, I feel like it's a tough job, you, you know, I mean, you're all constantly on the go, you're on call, all of these things, so everybody sees you as bright and cheery, but like we talked about earlier, it's not always been that way. Addiction has affected someone very close to you. Mm -hmm. And I kind of want you to talk about that. So his name was Brock and I'll throw that out there, but tell us a little bit about Brock and your relationship with him and kind of mm -hmm. how you got into this. Um, I don't even know, I guess calling to bring yeah. awareness to people. That's so, fair. Yeah, go ahead. Say calling. Well, as soon as you say his name, I instantly get tears in my eyes and I, you know, I go on TV every single day and I'm able to share stories and everything, but this is something that has personally impacted my life. And I told myself, I love Townsend. I know her. I feel like she's a great friend. And so I want to be open and honest with you and just raw and real because I am a very happy person and I love to make other people happy and I do not like people seeing me cry. So here I go. But um, Brock, um, we met when I worked in South Dakota and I was the morning anchor and he was a photographer there. And um, I remember the moment he walked in the room and I just had this feeling overcome me and say, you're, you're going to know this person. And I didn't know what that meant at the time, but I remember writing it in my diary. Oh my gosh, I just feel like I've met this person. And I, it's so crazy when I look back now, I just knew this person was going to change my life. And I didn't know how, I didn't know why. I just felt this feeling come over me. So of course I go after it, you know, and I'm like, all right, 
Well, God's telling me so, you know, and we just instantly clicked. I mean, it was, I call it a whirlwind romance, but just the two of us were just two peas in a pod and he just had so many big dreams and goals in life. And I am the very same. So we, we instantly clicked. And then I found out I was moving to Arkansas. So my heart just broke and I'm like, there's no way we're going to be able to stay together. But we did, you know, because we both cared and loved for each other very, very much. And, um, you know, Brock ended up working on a movie here in Arkansas over the summer. Some of you might be familiar. It's called God's Not Dead 2. And he ended up getting a job on the movie. So he ended up coming and staying in Arkansas for a few months anyway. And it was just the coolest experience getting to see what he loved to do. And I'm getting to do what I love to do. And we're in the same place, which is incredible. Um, that was in the summer of 2015. And uh, I, I knew a little bit about Brock's past. He wasn't very forthcoming with me. Um, I'm, I'm a reporter. I ask a lot of questions, you know, yeah. I know about your family and everything. Um, he had told me that he struggled a little bit um, and got in trouble in the past and went to jail. And of course, I want to know more. You know, my mom <laughs> doesn't want me dating a guy that's been to jail and um, come to find out he'd gone to jail for selling pills. And I, at the time, I mean, I feel like I was so naive because I didn't really understand what that meant. And I didn't understand how he went to jail, federal prison, and I, but he wouldn't really talk too much about it. So I kind of just let it be. I kind of took the, the vibes that, um, you know, he wasn't willing to talk about it too much. Well, we ended up um, dating throughout that summer and it was just the best summer of my life. And he had a friend pass away at the end of July um of 2015 and he's from alaska originally i'm from florida literally polar opposite so he went back to alaska for the funeral and i knew he was hurting very badly because it was his best friend and he asked me to come and visit him and so i went and i look back now and there there are a lot of signs that i missed at the time but i was not aware the level of addiction he had been sober for eight years, uh, out of trouble for eight years. So there are a lot of signs that I missed during that trip. And people can tell you, don't feel bad about those, don't have guilt. I will forever live with that. I've learned how to live with it, but I've channeled that into helping others recognize signs. I went and spent about a week in Alaska and it was the best trip of my life. I went home and Brock stayed there. He ended up working, um, you know, because he's kind of doing freelance and everything. He ended up working there for the next three weeks. And three weeks after I visited Alaska, I got a phone call as I was about to go on air from his mom. And she told me that he overdosed. And um, I will never forget that day. I will. And I know Chloe, who's watching right now. Um, my friend Chloe was the first one there for me. And when you get that kind of phone call, it's not only shocking, but it's numbing. I just remember screaming and not understanding the reality of what had happened. I say I was naive because when I get a call that he overdosed, I'm thinking he's still alive. I need to get to Alaska. I need to get to wherever he is. I didn't know that he overdosed and passed away. It wasn't until a few days later that I found out that he passed away from a heroin overdose. When you are dating someone for that long and you have no idea 
and you just get hit with this whammy. That's what I call it. I mean, I was blown away and I had no idea what, what that meant. I, I should know these things. How did he overdose? Was he using before? And I didn't know about it. I mean, I went through so many questions in my mind and it wasn't until I went back to Alaska for the funeral and sat down with his family that they shared with me more about his past and his use of drugs and how it started when he was 15 years old, he got hurt on a football field and his coach gave him oxycodone. And that started a downward spiral. But Brock had been clean for eight years when I met him. In my mind, he had been clean for eight years. So, okay, he doesn't use drugs anymore. He must be good. That's how naive I was. I had no idea that every single day of addiction in recovery is a battle every single day to stay alive. And, and that's, that's something that I wish that I knew then, but I, I can't keep looking back on that. But you know, that, that day forever impacted me. I will never forget it. And I don't even like going back to that day because I remember just the pain and the physical pain of grief. And for any of you who have experienced grief or have gotten that phone call, you know, that feeling is just unbearable. And, um, for a long time, I just, I was in a really, really dark place, but you know me, I'm a very happy, smiley person and no one knew what yeah, was going I, on. I get till you make it. Yeah. That's literally what I did is fake it till I make it. I didn't talk about it to anyone, my close friends and some of my family, not even all of my family knew because I was so worried of what they would think because yeah. everybody had heard me talk about Brock. I was so in love and oh. this guy's amazing. And I wanted everybody to remember that and not judge him for how he passed away. And the only thing I could do was stay quiet about it. And to be honest with you, I mean, I was in a really dark place. I was drinking a lot. I was, you know, having thoughts of not wanting to be here anymore. And I share that because people who are in the thick of grief know what that's like. You know, it's not like you're going to take your own life, but you don't want to be here anymore. And as much as I was on TV and doing my thing and trying to be smiling and get through it, it was torture. It was absolute torture. I can only imagine. Um, I've talked about on my social medias, and that's kind of why I started all of this. Everybody, it, it, it's kind of hard to explain. Once you hit a certain age, you will experience grief. Obviously, when you're yeah. very young, you're very invincible. Mm -hmm. Things haven't hit you yet. And though yeah. so for me, I went through some traumatic experiences, but I was so young that nobody, none of my friends could really relate. And so it was right. hard for them to offer encouragement or to offer a listening ear because to them eh, it happened and they went on about their life. And so yeah. hearing you talk about the grieving process, cause I'm the same way. I take pride in being happy and trying to share joy and things like yeah. that. So for me, my coping mechanism was to sweep it under the rug and eventually I'll forget about it. And yeah. now with age, I realize that's a terrible idea. Yeah, it, it does will, not work. <laughs> yeah, it will start oozing out your ears and everything else. Like it's, you have to sit and you have to feel those feels. And I realize yeah. that now, Yeah. again, kind of why I started this project of you're not alone, because I want people to know 
it's okay. It doesn't matter if you're a news anchor that's on the news and you got to be smiling all the time. It doesn't matter if you're a music, musician and you have to fake a smile and play yeah. shows and be there for everybody. Everybody has a dark time and that's yeah. okay. It's okay to not be okay. Right. And that's the thing that I, I do want people to know, like it is okay to be in that spot. I mean, yeah. you can't instantly turn it off and everything be fine. Um, you know, on the air, I have to do that. And that's very difficult to do. And I want people to know that it's okay to be in that dark place, but you have to know how to get out of it. Right. And I remember specifically the day that I told myself, you have got to stop this. Like you have got to get out of this hole that you're in. And it was on January 1st of that, of that following year. And I woke up and I'm, I just had this overwhelming just feeling of you have to get out of this place. You can either dig yourself into this hole and die, or you can get out of it and do something with it. Well, I found church. Um, I, I mean, I've been to church my whole life, but I found a church here, New Life Church, um, and I started going. And that day, it was a message that I needed to hear. And it was, um, just about that God's with you and the pain. And when I felt so alone and couldn't talk to anybody about this because I was so scared of the stigma of addiction, I felt like God knew my story and I like prayed for God to use me in some way. That's, that's, I knew I had this platform. Well, let me tell you, God was tapping on my shoulder for a good two and a half years and I refused to listen <laughs> to him. You know, I'm like, give me a sign. Like, but like, I knew what he wanted me to not do. That, not that sign. No, no, not that sign. I knew he wanted me to publicly share this, but I would, I mean, I was frozen in fear. I can go and stand up in front of any audience, um, do anything, but I could not talk about this. Yeah. And I remember going to Attorney General Leslie Rutledge because I knew she was she worked um, with a lot of people in recovery and helping raise awareness about the opioid epidemic and I just felt this urge to share my story with her and she asked me a few months later if I would go ahead and share be the MC for the um, national I forget the exact title of it, it happens in Hot Springs every year um, now I forget the name of it but um, she asked me to go speak and it was a group of 1500 people. And I'm like, well, what do you, what do you want me to speak about? And she said, whatever you want. I said, you want me to share my story? She said, whatever you want, you do whatever you want. You could talk about your career. And I knew in that moment, God's like, okay, yeah, you got to yeah. do this. And so that was the very first day in front of 1500 people that I got up on that stage and shared my story. Thank you, Kyle. It was yes, a prescription like drug that. summit in hot Springs. And I was terrified. I mean, it was the scariest moment of my life to get up there in front of those people. But I'll tell you, and this is the part I'm going to get emotional about too, because I am a crybaby, if you don't know that. But I got off that stage and I had so many people lining up to talk to me and share their story with me about how they've been impacted by addiction. And it was the first time that I felt not alone in all of this, because it is horrible to feel like you don't have anyone to talk to about this and I listened to God after that I said okay uh, you're doing something here I thought I'm fine you're doing something and um you know just hearing those stories from people and knowing that they understood what I was going through and why I couldn't publicly share and then I'm here 
without knowing, encouraging other people to share their story. I, I, I felt this calling and I went to my bosses at the time and I said, I want to do this. I want to not only share my story because as a journalist, you never want the story to be about you, but I wanted to use that to teach myself about the opioid epidemic and about addiction. I was so naive before. I didn't know what heroin was. I didn't know what opioids were. So I spent six months working on a documentary. And in those six months, I learned so much too, like more than I ever knew and things that I wish I knew at the time. And I ended up doing this documentary. And that night that it aired, Saving a Generation, um, oh my gosh, my phone was blowing up, the, the, my emails, calls to the station. I was overwhelmed, but in, in such a good way. And there were people telling me that because of hearing my story, they were going to go get help. They were hopping on a plane the next day to go to a rehab center. I mean, that's, I just had to go and sit by myself, like just take five minutes, you know, and it's, it, it's incredible to see what, and I say what Brock's story has done because I don't want him to be remembered for his loss and be judged for his loss and known as an addict or a junkie. Yeah. I want him to be known for the most amazing person that he was. And every time I get to share his story or say his name and I hear other people say it, I know that something's working here. And while it's not the easiest thing to do, I do know that it, it is changing lives. And I've gotten to see that firsthand. That's so neat. I love it. Um, yeah, like you said, also with age, so you think about kind of being naive and out of the picture. Yeah. I think I used to as well, when you think about heroin and all these hardcore drugs, even pills, you think, oh, what a junkie. Oh, you think of, you know, I think of, when I, when I would think of, uh, of an addict, okay. I would think of a homeless man like, under a bridge. I mean, that is, like, that was my image of it. Uh, I mean, the most I knew was about weed. Okay you know, in high school and friends smoking weed. That yeah. is literally the extent of my knowledge of drugs. So it opened up my eyes to just who an addict really is, because guess what? I loved an addict, you know, and, and that person was not the person in my mind that it, that it, it didn't match, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And that's what, um, like I did one of these with Kyle and he's one of the best guys. I knew him in college when he was going through this huge addiction. And it's the same thing. I had no idea. Yeah. And I even told him, I was like, this is the adorable long haired blonde, <laughs> like gorgeous guy on the side of the, the room, just so quiet. We should pop up a picture of Kyle right now. I so know. You can see. <laughs> I had Justin Bieber with blonde hair. That was him. So yeah, yeah they're, they're amazing people. And we have this painted picture on our head that they're these homeless junkies and that's just not it no. and so I want to bring light to the subject that hey it could be a loved one and yeah. also break the stigma you know you talked about breaking the stigma of addiction but it also sounds like you were nervous about the stigma of mental health as well yeah so like coming out and letting people know that you're you're not happy you're struggling yeah. a little bit yeah it's totally normal totally yeah normal. It, it's so, it felt so good to finally talk about it and and yeah the stigma's there but there are so many people who are impacted by it in general that when you just open up and share about it it's incredible the people that will come forward and 
who you were sitting right next to yes. and had no idea that were struggling with this as well. And they feel like, I can't tell people they're going to think I'm a junkie. Yeah. It's they're going to, you know, people ask me, they were like, are you afraid you're going to be judged? And I'm like, no, it's not. It wasn't about me at all. It's about Brock and it's about, I, I did not want the way he died to be the way people remembered him because he was so much more than that. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So what, well, you know, you kind of talked about the red flags and we'll come back to that in a minute. I do want to circle mm -hmm. back to that, but what helped you cope during this dark, dark time? You talked about you found church yeah. and heard the messages you needed to hear, but what are some yeah. of that helped you really find your way back to the Laura that you knew before? <sighs> Man. Well, that's the thing. I don't think I will ever be the Laura who I was. I, I say there's a before Brock and there's an after. And I think that makes me so emotional because grief changes you. I love the person who I was and I'm proud of the person I am today, but grief changes you. And it doesn't necessarily mean a bad change. It's just different. You know, it's very different. I look back and I'm like, I miss that girl sometimes, you know, but this girl right here is empowered and she has learned so much and she's helping other people and you're making me cry again Townsend. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No, it's okay. I, I I knew I was gonna cry, so it's okay. But I you know, grief changes you and I ended up going to a grief group and met some wonderful people who um one of them being uh, her name is Gwen and she um she lost her husband to cancer and just having people like that who understood grief, we had different kinds of grief, um, but her her positivity and her light gave me light, you know, and I wanted to pass that light on to someone else. Um, reading blogs and writing my own blog about grief and helping people understand when I would read a blog and say, oh my gosh, I feel like I wrote that, you know, um, it just, those things helped me along the way. I read a lot of books. When when you lose someone you love, people throw a lot of books at you. Yeah. <laughs> I have so many grief group or grief uh, books from Dr. Zeus all the way and up to Lisa Turkers. Um, but reading books a lot and just I really clung to people who were like me. Um, there's a group called Grasp and and Grief Relief After Substance Passing. And so I founded this group here in Arkansas, a grasp group, um, because I wanted to help people here who were struggling with the same kind of loss as me, because I know when I was searching for something, oh, Gwen is watching, hi Gwen. <laughs> Gwen is watching, it makes me so happy. Um, you know, I wanted to have the things that I needed when I was grieving, and I wanted to give them to other people, so, um, I mean, church is a huge part of that. My faith is stronger than ever. And, and it was strong. Even when I lost Brock, you know, I had moments of, of negative thoughts and, but I, I, my faith is stronger than ever now because anything that can happen to me now, I say, I've already been through the worst, <laughs> bring it on. You know, nothing's gonna, nothing is going to be worse. So I can take it. <laughs> You know? I love it. Yeah. It's funny you say about the books. One, there's my friend is watching this, Jess. She's actually a grief counselor that I have met really? for music. Yeah, I played at um, a counselor's um, conference type thing. Got to know Okay, her. She's actually writing a book about grieving and the grief process. So I've learned yeah. a lot about it through her and just chatting. 
And funny you should mention the books because I did the th same thing. I bought all of Lisa Turkus books. So um, one of my <gasps> friends and my drummer passed away. I don't know if you've mm -hmm. kept them on my, on my page. So I got out yeah. of music, like completely gave it up. Um, and I read, I have a whole library of books. Oh, yeah. <laughs> helping, your, like figuring your way back to what is now the new norm. Right. Yeah. And just figuring yeah. things out because your world shifts. I mean, it, if you've not experienced grief yet, you will at some point. That's just yeah. life. And it just is something you can't put into words, really. You know, yeah. I mean, you completely lose who you were. Like you said, I'm, I miss the old Townsend as well. But this new Townsend, man. She like, rocks. Yeah. Yeah. Talk <laughs> about empowered. None of this would have happened had that not happened, you know? Yeah. And I would go back and change it if I can, <laughs> but you're making yeah. the best of what you can right now. Yeah. Um, so what, speaking of changing, I know you said that you're a new Laura and <laughs> I'm sure the old Laura was way more uh, naive, like you said, and innocent and heaven mm -hmm. forbid you have to learn about drugs and things like that, but you kind of got thrown into it. What would you yeah. say this changed the most in you? So what, what's it changed the most? I think for me, the most, as far as in my career, when I share stories, um, someone's story of their own grief, the way I even question, do my interviews are different. You know, there's a level of compassion there. And a lot of times I find myself sharing my story with them while we're there. And it instantly gives them a sense of comfort to know that, okay, she's, she's been through some, some tough stuff, you know? And so I think that's why people feel comfortable in sharing these very personal details of their life with me, because I'm willing to do that with them. And I've done it, you know, I've, I asked them many times before my own loss to do it. And I would always wonder, how do they do that? How do they get on camera? And now I'm that person and I get it on a different level. So professionally, it's changed me in that way. And in just the way I do interviews. And then, I don't know, on a personal level, I feel so close to people who've lost someone. I wanna be there for them. If you know anything about Enneagrams, I'm a two and I'm a helper. Oh, so you're and like sometimes I overhelp. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I instantly feel close to those who are grieving, not just the loss of addiction, but my best friend just lost her mom to cancer. and. She's texting me and asking me, is the pain ever going to go away? And here I am almost six years out from the worst day of my life. And I can see, look back and see where in the beginning, I couldn't even see the next step I was supposed to take. So I feel like in a way it's changed me where I'm just so much more compassionate towards people who are hurting. And I just, I want to hold them and, and do whatever I can to help them, not just throw a book at them. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Well, we talked about, I had mentioned when you're younger and you lose somebody, you feel like you don't have anybody to turn to and with age. And I feel like with losing and grieving yeah. it almost, it's almost like it opens up your chapter of empathy and sympathy. It's like you didn't know what those really yeah. meant or look like until no. you've been through it. And you're like, I know what I needed, so I'm going to show that to other people. Well, I'll tell you, I will never say everything happens for a reason. If you know me, you know I hate that saying because you never want to say that to a grieving person. I'll just, uh, But those are yeah. things that you don't know until you've gone through grief. 
I want to write a book of what not to say to people who are grieving because you wouldn't believe the types of things people will say to you. There used to be a mad Laura who would get angry at these people. And now I'm just <laughs> understanding because, you know, when you're in the thick of your grief, anger is a big part of grief. And I was angry at everyone, everything. I was angry at Brock for leaving me. I was angry at people who said the wrong things. And sometimes just sitting them, with them in their grief is the best thing you can do. Absolutely. I agree a thousand percent. Yeah. Or they're in a better place. Like, shut up. Um, yeah. Okay, so <laughs> Yeah, you became a huge uh, advocate for addiction awareness. And so just kind of mm -hmm. letting people know it's okay to be naive and here are the things you can do. Yeah. So what do you feel like, what do you hope comes from all these things that you're doing, all these projects and documentaries? What are you hoping for? I just hope people get educated and stop thinking that this can't happen to me. You know, this, this won't happen to me, but thanks for the info. You know, so many people are naive like that. And I want them to know it's okay to think that way, but that's not true. I mean, you have no idea if you know someone or have a best friend whose child is struggling or the person that you're living with under their roof uh, is dealing with addiction. And I just want people to be educated because I do know, I feel that if I had knew the signs of addiction, I would have known that Brock was struggling. And I say that, and there's and there's an example that I remember very clearly. It was in June of 2015, and I remember he came to visit, and he was sick, and he told me he had the flu. I'm buying him Gatorade and all kinds of things, like saltine crackers, and I'm a, I'm a two, I'm a caretaker, a helper. Yeah. It's June. How many people have the flu in June? He was going with, through withdrawals at the time. And, you know, I'll never know that for certain, but my heart knows that now. And I just, I want to educate people on those signs and stop thinking that this cannot happen to you because it can. It happened to me, you know, and I am a news anchor. I've got everything going for me in my career. You know, I, I am doing well for myself. It happened to me. So what's to say it won't happen to you? And so that's what I want the most is just for people to wake up and educate themselves because don't be naive like this because you'll miss the signs. I love it. We'll come back. Like I said, we're going to come back to the red flags kind of. You post mm -hmm. and discuss about something called Narcan all the time. Mm -hmm. I'll also post it. In <laughs> you say it like such a Narcanzan. Narcan. Narcan. <laughs> the narcs. Um, Narcan. Nar, nar, I know nar, what you're talking about. Narcan. Narcan. Nar there we go. Um, so if you don't know it, now you do. It's Narcan. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, <laughs> so you post about it, Jimmy McKeel, um, Kyle Brewer, all these people that are huge in the addiction awareness and mm -hmm. trying to get people aware. Uh, I had no idea what this was, never heard of it until yeah. you posted about it and you posted a story. So yeah. I'm going to assume since I didn't know, a lot of people don't know. So kind of explain what this is and why is it so important? Like, why are you guys all posting bar Narcan? <laughs> I'm, I'm always going to hear it now differently. Yeah. Narcan. Narcan. Um, so Narcan um, or naloxone as it's known by its prescription name is an overdose reversing drug. So basically if someone has overdosed 
Uh, you can administer it through the nose um, or there is a shot you can get, but um, through the nose is a really easy way and it's literally a pump up their nose and it will wake them up like that. Um, if you've ever been woken up by Narcan, let me tell you, um, I have seen people woken up by Narcan. They're very angry because you took away their high. And that sounds crazy because this person has just died right there. Um, but you're instantly taking away their high. So they're upset a lot of the times um, when, when you do that. But it saves their life and it's incredible. And I want people to know too that Narcan is not just for, you know, people who are using drugs who overdose. There, a couple months ago, there was a two-year-old in Texarkana who had gotten into their mom's Percocet. And that child was saved by Narcan. So it's just something, you know, incredible to have in your house. And I would love to see it in every first aid kit, you know, yeah. across the country. You know, it's like a diabetic going into shock and you were able to, you know, help them. And it's, it's incredible. It's not going to stop them from using drugs forever, but it does give them a chance. And I've heard that from people. I mean, the, the comments I hear from people are, well, why would you save their life? They're just going to go and use again. They might, they wow. might overdose again yeah. and they might live and overdose again. I don't care if they've overdosed nine, 10 times that 11 time with Narcan might be the time that changes their life and makes them go get help. And I, I share this because you mentioned the story on my Facebook page, you know, I didn't carry Narcan until an incident happened to me. It was 3.30 in the afternoon on Cantrell and Sam Peck. And I had just dropped off kids that I nanny at the nearby pool. And there was a car in front of me that had stopped. And, you know, they weren't going, the light kept going, cycling through and everyone's honking their horns. And I said, well, I'm gonna go ahead and just check on this person, make sure they're okay. Um, I got out of the car and the person in front of me did the same thing and opened the door of the car and a woman's body fell out. And this is 3.30 in the afternoon on Cantrell and Sam Peck. And I knew exactly in that moment what happened. I remember being on the phone with 911 and also flying to the car and I saw a needle and a spoon in the seat and the woman was on the ground, blew her eyes wide open. And I, you know, I'm the kind of person that I run to, you know, I'm not a bystander, whatever it is, I run to it. And I remember calling 911 and saying, we need Narcan, we need Narcan. Someone else was giving the woman CPR and I was trying to stop cars and ask them if they had Narcan and they had bewildered looks on their faces. Yeah. Like, what oh, are you talking about? Um, and I, I was, I knew she was going to die. I said, we need this right now. We need this. We need this. And the cops ended up showing up. They didn't have the Narcan. Paramedics showed up. They administered Narcan and she lived. Whoa. That day tortured me. One, because I got a glimpse of what Brock probably looked like. And that is something I never wanted to see. And two, I left that day not knowing if she had lived or died. I had to know. Mostly I wanted to know who did the CPR, who helped save her life. Um, and I ended up being my little investigative reporter self and going on and finding the police report. And I ended up finding out who she was. And... Um, I was able to connect with her and with the help of Kirk Lane and some others in the state, 
took a long time. That was the day before Halloween in January of that year. She offered to, or she, she told me she was ready to get help. And with the help of Kirk Lane, we were able to get her into a treatment center. It's been a long few roads. I was 2018. It's been a long road, um, hard few years for her. Uh, but I will tell you right now, she is in recovery um, and she's doing really well. And I, I don't know if she's watching this, but if you are watching, I'm so grateful that we met. And I know that God put me in your life and you in my life for a reason. And I wish I had Narcan that day, but ever since that day, I carry Narcan with me. And that's an example of, I don't, I, you know, it wasn't like I was living with someone at the time who was using or or a child that I need to be aware of. I was, a this is a stranger in front of me at 3.30 in the afternoon. That's why I carry Narcan. So if it can happen to me, it can happen to you. And I, I want people to know that it's a prescription or Where you go and ask for Narcan, a lot of times your insurance will cover it or it will be a deeply discounted rate. I ended up hitting my deductible and I went and got some more um, and it was literally, I think like $10 and I just carried in my purse because yeah. I never know. And I hope I never have to go through that again, but it's there if, if anything ever does happen. Yeah. Well, I mean, I actually have a really good friend that I do music with and he struggled with that. Uh, told his parents he was doing better. And next thing he knew he was on the floor at a party. Yeah. Everybody left him because they were like, uh, we're not getting the cops called. We're not getting in trouble. Yeah. Yeah. They left him on the floor. He said he knew he was going to die right then and there. turns out somebody left their car keys at the party, came back, called 911 and then left him for the cops to come get him. And so he ended up surviving. But since then, like, again, we go back to you think it's some trash person that who cares? Yeah. But because he was given that opportunity, he now is like eight years clean. He's the same Amazing. super spreading awareness and love and hope. He's this huge Christian guy with three kids and just the best person you could ever meet. And you would never think that, you know? Yeah. Um, people That's just amazing. Have, yeah. Bad stereotype. And if somebody would have had Narcan that day, <laughs> they would have saved him. And he said he laid on that floor knowing that was it. He was wow. going to die. And he didn't mean for it to happen. It just, yeah, you know. Well, I mean, you know, majority of people who are using their intention is not to die. Yeah. You know, oh, yeah. it, it's you a lot of times there. And, and I'm not an expert on addiction and drugs. I've, I've have not lived a life of addiction, um, but I have been touched by addiction. So I try and educate myself along the way, but I'll tell you the people that I know in recovery and I have a lot of friends in recovery, their intention is not to die, you know? Um, and it's, it's so hard to love someone or care about someone, example, this girl, um, and, and they're not wanting to get help and they continue to use. And it's, it's, just, it's, you wonder why when you're not, in addiction you wonder why how can this person do this you know it's the same thing for me with brock how could he use the one drug that also took his brother his brother died of a heroin overdose too so i don't know i'm not in the mind of someone who is in active addiction i don't understand and and through this journey i've made so many friends who are in recovery and that's been something that's really healing for me is talking to people who 
are in recovery and understanding. It's almost like I'm talking to Brock in some way where I'm getting to hear why I questioned why for so long and I'm never going to know why I thought our relationship was great and everything was great in his life but he was clearly struggling with a lot of things and I don't think he ever wanted me to know what he was going through and and so I think helping what's helped me is getting to know these people who are in recovery and you know who you are you know it just has been amazing to me and just so helpful in helping me understand addiction better. No book will teach me the things that my friends in recovery have taught me. I'm sure he didn't tell you because he loved you. He didn't want you to hurt and suffer like he was. He probably thought this is my burden and yeah. But um, on a live stream that I did at the end of last month, somebody told me a Brene Brown quote and I feel like it goes well for you. So she says that we're not here to be right. We're here to get it right. <laughs> yeah. well, I feel like that's perfect for you. Cause you're like, well, I don't know. I didn't struggle. I'm not an addict, but that's yeah. not the point because people aren't looking for you to have all the answers and to be right and everything. You're here to get it right. And to teach yeah. people and to make people not so naive and just make the world a better place altogether. So yeah, never feel like you have to have all the answers. <laughs> I don't, yeah. I don't even pretend to try. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. Okay, so we talked about this several times. What are some of the red flags that people should be aware of? I'm super curious about this one because I don't even know that I would know. Uh, yeah. And I have several friends that have been affected with addiction and I mean, they had it well. So what are some things that we could look out for? Name a few for us. Well, I mean, the thing I told you too about about Brock in that summer of having the flu and just the look of him. I mean, he was very uh, skinny and gaunt like he his face had changed a lot and there was like a physical you know change that because we were long distance I don't know that I I thought oh he's just skinny because he's poor we're both in this business that makes no money you know things like that um and I remember when I was in Alaska uh to visit him when his friend passed away um there were just a lot of times he would like slip off and i wouldn't know where he was and i'm on vacation for only a week you know so there was a lot of this like disappearing and not telling me where he was going and a lot of just little white lies about things and you know in my mind at the time because i didn't know that he was using i thought is he cheating on me? Is he, you know, what, why isn't he would forget to call like things that would just, it, there were a lot of changes like that. And, and I can't speak for everybody um, in, in addiction. These were my personal experiences and they were literally in like a three week span from the time I saw him to the day, the day he passed away. So those things have just like a physical appearance has changed. Um, he was, he would get angry at me and he would never fought. So just uh, like, and a burst of anger was something um, that I remember very clearly. And it was like, I, I didn't know this person anymore. And the reason I remember these things so clearly is because I wrote about them in my diary at the time I mentioned my diary earlier, I wrote about these things. So after he passed away, when I look back through, I'm like, Laura, why didn't you know something was wrong? You know, why didn't you, why don't you know? And, um, you know, he was borrowing money from, his, his family. And so there are just things like that, that just, if you notice a change in someone like that might not be 
that they're using, but it's good to figure it out. You know, it's good to like ask questions. I was scared to ask questions because I didn't want him to be upset with me that I was prying or I wanted this be beautiful relationship to last. And I wish I demanded more answers and asked questions. So don't be afraid to ask if you're, if you're questioning it, or if you have a son or daughter who you're concerned about in the slightest, ask them. It's better they get mad at you and defensive then you don't ask and they're not here anymore for you to even try. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so I think that's really good. Those are things I would never think of. My first thought would be, well, what are you mad at me about? Or you're cheating on me. I think right, that's right. And I mean, I would, I'm a, at the time I'm a 26 year old woman. That's what's going on in my mind. You're not returning my phone calls. You're, <laughs> you know, like what is happening? Who is she? And, who is she? Yes. Who is she? <laughs> You know, and so those kind of things, I mean, just if it's it's a change in the person in general from the person that you know, and you know that person really well, there's probably something going on. Sure. Absolutely. So there's, you do this thing called um, the Wolf Street, uh, it's the Red Carpet Gala that actually oh, yeah. just, it was fantastic. You I, were part of it. You rocked yeah. it. Oh gosh. I was honored to be asked to be part of this. So it's a nonprofit that focuses on addiction and things like that. So mm -hmm. tell people about that. I was super intrigued and just humbled that you had asked me to be part of it. And so I got to looking at it and it's such a cool um, organization. So I wanted to tell people a little bit about that. Yeah, I mean, it's, I've been on the board of Wolf Street for the past couple of years, and I've always wanted to be on a board, but I wanted to be on a board of something I really cared about, and Wolf Street's incredible. It's um, one of the largest nonprofits in the state that helps people, men and women, in recovery from drug and alcohol addiction, and I know there are a lot of people watching on here that will tell me, I had someone tell me yesterday, the guy who was coming to fix my garage, that Wolf Street saved his life, wow. and I have heard that so many times, yeah. and you know, it's not just a place where people go for 12 step meetings, you know, like NA or AA. It's a place where you can get help moving forward with your life, job applications. There are peer support specialists like Kyle Brewer who are there, um, you know, and, and what's great too is that there are resources for families who are struggling with someone who's in active addiction. And I just think it's, it's what I like to say is a safe haven for people in recovery. Um, every time I go there, you see people sometimes just hanging out. It's just like a safe place for people to be together where they know that they have friends in recovery who are not going to judge, who are going to be there for them. And so if you have not checked it out, stop by. Um, I've frequented there a lot while we were planning the, the red carpet gala um, and helping raise money to keep it going. You know, a lot of nonprofits were hurt during the pandemic. So this, this uh, fundraiser that we did really helped us continue to do what we do there. I love but it. It's, it's the volunteers there, I'm telling you, that make it. The people that show up, a big part of recovery is volunteering your time. And so anytime you walk in that door, you're going to meet someone who's just there because it feels good for them to be there and to, to help. I love it. Yeah, especially with 2020. I know uh, mental health took a huge nosedive. Mm -hmm. People were having tons of trouble. So I can only imagine addiction skyrocketed. Yeah. Oh, yeah. All people had to do and you kind of get in this kind of funk. People lost their jobs. So look into this nonprofit. Like I said, when you asked me to join, I was humbled. I didn't really know what it was. So I kind of did my detective work. Looking. Hey, you were like me when I joined the board. I didn't really know what it was, but I'm like, okay, you help people who are in recovery. Sure. I'm part yeah, of it. Sure. Cool. Cool. 
Yeah, but it seems so great. And what kind of what you said, so I posted on my socials that I was being part of it. And I had three people, which is crazy, say that it saved their lives, which See, I'm telling you, <laughs> you, I mean, you will hear that now that you know Wolf Street, you'll hear that more and more. Yeah, I mean, not they went there for help or not. Oh, yeah, I've heard of it. It was that it saved their lives that that is where they went. So yeah. and that's really cool. Yeah. Um, okay, so we're almost out of time. So we'll hit this question really quick. I also know you got to get back on the news. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, I forgot. I still have to do oh, that. Oh, yeah, you still got a job. Uh, okay, so last thing I kind of want to touch on, what what's some advice you'd give loved ones who are struggling with this same thing? So I know you talked about feeling kind of lonely. Nobody was there. Nobody understood. Yeah. What's some advice you could give for people that have loved ones struggling or even people struggling? You know, I would say the stigma is there, but the stigma, we are all working to break that down. It is such a huge barrier to not only people seeking recovery, but people being willing to share their story um, and share their hurt and their pain and their grief. And I think you just have to realize, and hopefully you can use my story as an example of sitting in silence for two and a half years. Those were two and a half years that uh, I wish that I had spoken up more because I probably would have met even more people who were in the same place I was and we could both help each other get out, you yeah. know, and I didn't have to sit and read blogs by myself. <laughs> I could have talked to a real person. So yeah. don't be afraid to share your story. If you are struggling, call someone that you trust to get help. Um, there are so many people out there who are struggling and sitting there in silence right now and wondering, what do I do? And you can reach out to me. I don't have all the answers, but I know a lot of great people like Kyle Brewer, for example, who I could put you in touch with, who, who have been down this road and are in a much better place. And that gives me hope is seeing my friends in recovery live their lives in a way they never have before. I wish every day that I could see Brock living that life too, but there's a beauty in seeing these people who are in recovery, changing lives by sharing their own story. You know, AA is Alcoholics Anonymous, NA is Narcotics Anonymous, but my God, there are so many people out there who are taking away that anonymous and showing their face and saying, I'm proud to have four years clean. I'm proud to have three months clean. And that's giving other people hope. So get in touch with with me if you have um someone you know struggling because i know a lot of people i don't have all the yeah. answers but i know a lot of people and i can connect you with the right people so um just just don't be afraid like i was it's it's nothing to be ashamed of yeah. not at all absolutely not i love i feel like 2021 i feel like our generation is really stepping out as far as yeah. mental health goes and as far as empowering both men women doesn't matter your race or anything like that i feel like equality and just empowerment is a huge yeah. movement for our generation and i'm stoked to be part of that <laughs> um and so with that i want to say thank you so much for joining thank me thank you for sharing your story. I know it was a tough one to share, but you've changed so many lives. I've heard of people, like I said, you should have seen my messages when I posted that I was going to have you on here. So many uh -huh. people do it. You've changed more lives than you know you have. And Thank you. although you had two years, I feel like in that two years you spent, you had to take care of yourself first. Yeah. 
Right. Yeah. You can't pour water from an empty glass. So. Amen. Yeah. I say that yeah. all the time. <laughs> right. You had to take those years for yourself. So yeah. don't, don't be too hard on yourself. All right. I'll let you get back to your real job. Thank you so much. Oh, I was so excited to get to Me chat too. with you. Thank you. Thank you for being, you just, you're so easy to talk to you. I just felt like, why not just cry it out with Townsend? <laughs> Right before I go on air, it's fine. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> you can just dab dab that mascara. Yes, we'll get makeup, may hair, makeup. Can we get that in here? <laughs> what well, is a pleasure? Thank chat you. With Laura. We'll be in touch. Okay. Bye bye. Right. Have a good one. If you enjoyed this conversation and are interested in becoming a sponsor, feel free to shoot me an email at townsendtmusic at hotmail.com or shoot me a message on any social media platform at Townsend Team Music for more information. I would love for you to become a member to help spread awareness that you're not alone. If you're looking to buy or sell, I have the perfect realty company for you. Clark & Co Realty is located in the Benton, Bryant, Arkansas area. And they understand that buying or selling a home is more than just a transaction. It's a life-changing experience. That's why their team of highly seasoned real estate professionals is dedicated to providing exceptional, personalized services for all their clients. They truly take great pride in the relationships they build, and they always work relentlessly on the client's behalf to help them achieve their perfect real estate goals. They always have the client in mind, and I can speak firsthand when I say how reliable, trustworthy, and quick they were. When I was looking to buy my first home, they were there with me every step of the way, answering every question I could think of. They showed me a great amount of knowledge and patience through the process. It's no wonder they've won so many awards for their outstanding services and their excellent relationships with clients. So if you're looking to buy or sell, there is no better option than Clark & Co Realty. Camp Tanico, located near Hot Springs on the beautiful Lake Catherine, has been a tradition of the United Methodist Church in Arkansas since 1948. The mission here at Camp Tanico is to welcome children, youth, and adults to a place set apart where they can grow in their faith by experiencing God through nature and time spent in community and respond to the call of the Holy Spirit. Christian camps are uniquely capable of impacting lives for Christ, whether you come as a guest on a retreat or come for a summer session, this is a place where you can release your burdens, find Christ's peace, and rest.